Welcome to the Small Business Leadership Podcast. I'm Jason Johnson. And I'm Tom Patton. There are more than 30 million small businesses in the United States alone, which accounts for nearly all U.S. businesses. But what does it take to be successful in a small business? On this podcast, we talk with small business owners and others about leadership and what it takes to be successful as an entrepreneur. My guest today is Cord Bird, the Florida House Representative for District 11 and an attorney in private practice. And Cord, thank you for joining me today. Hey, good morning, Tom. Thank you for having me. I want to get into a couple of areas with you because your job in the state legislature is technically part-time and you're an entrepreneur as well. So give us a little bit of background on your private law practice. Sure. Um, so I've been a, been a licensed attorney in Florida since uh, 1998. Uh, in 2007, uh, made, the, made the jump into... Um, you know, having my own law firm, so I'm a sole practitioner and uh, moved uh, back uh, from South Florida up to, to Jacksonville and have been in private practice since 07. So what led you into a private practice to get out of a big law firm and open up your own firm? Sure. Well, like like so many people, you you realize you're, you're making uh, a lot of money for, for other people. And, uh, you know, it's, it was I thought I wanted to chart my own course and practice law the way I wanted to practice it and not, uh, you know, how somebody else wanted me to practice law. So uh, for you know, the freedom, financial gain for all of the reason entrepreneurs, um, you know, start their own businesses. That's why I wanted to, to start my own as well. What was the biggest challenge you found in making that transition from a major law firm to opening up your own shop? Sure. Well, um, when I began are my law practice down in, uh, in in South Florida, so that's where my contacts and connections were. And mm-hmm. uh, although my family, um, you know, I, I was born in Jacksonville, but uh, when I moved back in 07, I had no ties. I mean, zero ties to the um, to the Jacksonville legal community. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that was so that was a challenge, just getting out there and uh, trying to you know network and, and meet people and advertise and uh, to build up a, a client base. So that that was probably the biggest challenge. You try to focus a lot on constitutional law. And I know that you're, Mm -hmm. I should say that in the spirit of full disclosure, Cord and I are practically neighbors here in Neptune Beach. (laughs) So we've gotten to know each other pretty well. Uh, But you focus a lot on Second Amendment issues. Why is that important to you? Sure. Um, So you're you're correct. Um, I've I've always had a strong passion for the Constitution as the foundation of of our government, of our liberties. And uh, I, it's interesting talking about the starting a new business, being an entrepreneur. I, I read a book as I was as I started my law practice. I read a book about finding your niche in the law, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it was so it was difficult to compete. I mean, all, against all the you know the big name guys you see on on television. And so I I read this book and it says find your niche. And uh, I, I I looked and you know, I said, hey, I can I can marry my my passion from kind of from an academic sense with my law practice and quite frankly there was a there was a there was a hole in the law for people um for second amendment advocates and uh i I found that niche and it's it's a passion and it's much more enjoyable um uh because some of the things that i did uh, you know in the law i mean they're necessary but Mm -hmm. i just wasn't i just wasn't passionate about them who were your influences sure so i was i was very fortunate uh you know obviously other than my parents but uh, when I was hired, uh, the two partners at the law firm who hired me were just tremendous, uh, tremendous mentors, uh, not only in the law, but just in, in you know, how to be a professional. And uh, one of my colleagues at the law firm, uh, a great friend of mine, and we talk, uh, you know, we've been friends for more than 20 years now. 
um, has, uh, was my mentor in the law. And, uh, it really showed me how to approach it from, a from an academic and, and ethical standpoint, which, uh, you know, my, my profession sometimes, sometimes lacks. As a young lawyer, you got kind of cut your teeth on a case that almost everyone in Florida is familiar with. And that was, um, being someone who oversaw the counting of votes after the 2000 election. Talk about that experience a little bit. Correct. Correct. So um, I've always had a love for, for, you know, for politics and government uh, you know, that, uh, that kind of goes with the, with uh, the constitution. Um, so in 1998, I started uh, sort of what we call poll watching, being a, being an attorney poll watcher um, for elections um, and uh, did that. And then in 2000, we had, uh, you know, the Bush uh, v. Gore um, uh, issue come up in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I was in, I was at ground zero. I spent 13 hours on uh, on election day in 2000 watching people vote and then um once the uh, the recount started i was doing research papers and memos and and writing motions um so i was behind the scenes mm-hmm. but uh, still involved in uh, in that recount process which is uh which is just fascinating and, and i'm still uh, doing that to this day in fact uh, just on friday i was on a conference call with colleagues around the country talking about what uh, what different states are doing to ensure election integrity that's a, a big issue that may be outside the uh, the purview of, of this particular program, but it is going to be something that, that we're going to have to watch very carefully as uh, the entire system of elections may be changed. And the state of Florida is trying hard, it seems, to make sure that the Constitution is followed, that we can actually set our own elections and, and run them the way that the, the state of Florida sees fit. Is that, a, I mean, do you see that as, as, a, as a threat to the election system? Uh, most definitely. Um, I mean, what's being proposed uh, in Congress in, in, in Washington um, is a threat to states running their own elections. And, and I want to be clear for you know, everybody you know, listening. I mean, you know, it should be easy to vote and hard to cheat. I mean, that should be something we can all agree upon. Easy to vote, hard to cheat. And I think when you look at you know, Florida compared to other states that you would think uh, may be more uh, have looser laws, we, we actually um, you know, have, have make it very, very accessible to vote um, in Florida. We have multiple different ways. You, we had almost, I think, 40 days combined between um, early voting, uh, getting getting a mail-in back. I mean, yeah, that, that's a long time uh, to, to, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anybody that's missing the opportunity that wants to vote. They can do that in Florida. Let's talk about the business climate in Florida a little bit from a legislative standpoint. <clears throat> Excuse me. How do you compare the business climate here with some other states? Are we as business friendly as it seems on the surface, particularly for small businesses? Absolutely. It's one of the uh, things I'm most proud of in the, in the legislature is every session we work on trying to allow people to, you know, as the Constitution guarantees, you know, Declaration of Independence, pursuit of happiness. And, and then many, for many people, that is through uh, their employment, employment and their avocation. So we try to make it uh, at, you know, every, every session, try to reduce regulations, reduce taxes, reduce burdens and impediments to individuals deciding, you know what, I want to be my own boss. I don't want to work for somebody else. Or if you do, that, uh, that that's also um, easy as well. So I always use the example of, uh, you know, of, of New York. And when you mm-hmm. look at uh, our state budget, 
of being about $101 billion this year. And, and the, the governor just got the, the budget on his desk, so I'm sure it'll come down a little bit uh, when he takes out the veto pen. Um, but we're, we're running the state responsibly. Um, you know, New York has uh, more than double the budget of Florida, and I don't think people are getting double the services. And, and I, think, I think the U-Haul trucks uh, coming south versus going north um, prove that. And so we, you know, every year we put money, uh, billions of dollars in reserve. So we're not spending every single dollar of the taxpayer money that comes in. Uh, so I think just as a, as a family has a budget, just as a business has a budget at the state level, we try to have a, a responsible, frugal budget to meet our needs, uh, but not be, um, you know, not, not just spend uh, you know, wildly. The data does seem to show that it costs a lot more to get a U-Haul truck to move to Florida than it does to take your stuff out of Florida. Right, right. <laughs> So what makes Florida particularly competitive? What, what kind of business climate is there? So, um, you know, number one, I think not having a state income tax is, is a huge advantage. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, what other state, I mean, Florida, we're, we're the sunshine state. We have so many unique advantages. Um, and we have, we have the number one um, college university system in, in the country. Uh, I think our, our law enforcement throughout the state does a fantastic job of keeping our, our communities safe so when you look at when we when you look at what when companies want to move to a state what are they looking for um an educated workforce they're looking for affordable housing they're looking for low taxes they're looking for safe communities and i think florida has all of those and you'll see other states that uh, will offer huge uh tax incentives and tax breaks to lure uh companies to their state we don't think we have to do that at the state of Florida. We think that we have natural advantages, and when we when we do those things like investing in our schools and in our and in our um, in, in communities, and then being safe in our infrastructure, uh, we have one of the best road systems in the country. Uh, that we don't have to to buy companies coming to Florida. They're going to come here because they want to be here for the lifestyle. What about for small businesses? Um, because a small business isn't going to be able to go to the state state government or even oftentimes local governments and ask for large grants and tax incentives and all of those things. Right. What makes Florida competitive for somebody who wants to open their own business? Uh, you know, once again, uh, low tax, low regulation, uh, low barriers to entry. Uh, you know, you can go on sunbiz.org, and I'm not sure exactly the, the cost to, to start a new business, but it's um, you know probably you know less. It's a couple hundred dollars um, to, to start to start a new business. So we try to make it uh, very very accessible, very uh, user friendly um, for someone to to get up and running without having to hire accountants and lawyers and and uh, have a bunch of put a bunch of impediments in their way. I do know that um, for a small business like my own, um, and I've got a, a business associate out in California, we were talking about the filing of the annual paperwork, which you do on mm -hmm. SunBiz online and in Florida, it's like $137. And out in California, that's a $900 hit uh, just to, to file the annual paperwork. So those kinds of things, I think, are, are very attractive to people who are wanting to open a small business. No, you're absolutely right. In fact, I just did mine a few weeks ago before the <laughs> before the deadline. And you're right. I mean, it's very simple. It takes a few minutes. It's not it's not that much money. Um, I mean, we try to to you know we talk about you know we're not making money off of those things. We we try to set the set the the price um, exactly what it costs the state to to issue the license to to you know make sure we have the paperwork. Um, but it's not a, it's not a hidden tax on individuals. We're not taking that money and then spending it somewhere else. It's going just to administer the the programs. 
You're listening to the Small Business Leadership Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. I'm talking with Florida State Representative Cord Bird, who represents District 11 in the legislature. Uh, where is District 11? Just kind of outline that for us, Cord. So it's uh, it's all of Nassau County, which uh, borders uh, the state of Georgia. So I have from the Florida Georgia line, and then down uh, down the coast, so I'm part of the north side of Jacksonville um, along uh, along the St. Johns River, and then the three Jacksonville beaches: so Atlantic, uh, Neptune, and Jacksonville Beach. After the break, we'll get into some of the specific legislation that will have an impact on small businesses in the state. Stay with us. The Small Business Leadership Podcast is made possible by Broadreach Communications and Marlin Consulting Solutions. Marlin Consulting Solutions specializes in local SEO service packages to improve your page rankings and exposure on the search engines, leading to more leads, more customers, and business growth. Be the first business your customers see when they conduct local searches on search engines like Google, Bing, and Yahoo!, Find out how by visiting Marlin Consulting Solutions at marlincs.com. Broadreach Communications provides professional communication services for small businesses that need those services but do not need a full-time communications department. They provide website content ranging from news and blog posts to podcasts and company newsletters. Broadreach Communications can help you stay in touch with existing customers and reach new ones. Find them online at broadreach.biz. You're listening to the Small Business Leadership Podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and I'm talking with Florida State Representative Cord Bird, who represents District 11 in the legislature. And Cord, let's shift over and talk about some of the specific legislation that passed the session this year that will have an impact on businesses here in the state. What, in your opinion, is going to have the most impact on small businesses that came out of the legislative session? I think one of our top priorities and one of the top priorities of the governor was to ensure that as businesses were or are recovering um, from the pandemic shutdown, that they were then not burdened with uh, lawsuits, people trying to, to sue them, saying that I, I got COVID at your business. So we put um, COVID liability protections in place that doesn't that will not 100 percent prevent someone because in the Constitution we have access to courts. Um, but makes it very, very difficult. Uh, you put uh, puts uh, procedures in place uh, for someone to have to prove um, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that where where they where they became ill as opposed to a you know new business just struggling to open then being hit with a with a flood of of lawsuits. I think that's one of the uh, uh, one of the big things uh, that we worked on. Um, and you know, also trying to, to you know, fixing the the unemployment system, getting the trust fund uh, back fully funded, so that as people are going back to work, um, they have that safety net if they, if they need to. But I can tell you, I mean, just uh, in talking to local businesses here in in District 11, um, you know, businesses are struggling to get people back to work, and so I think that's one of our biggest challenges. In fact, I I, I was telling my wife that uh, um, I went and got dinner the other night, and and they had a sign on the door, you know, help wanted. And then I went to another uh, a business, local business, and, and they, same thing, help want it. So businesses are ready to get going, and uh, we just need people to get back to work. I have noticed that as well. Um, we went to a couple of restaurants on our way out of town the other day, and 
honestly, you, the, the restaurant was half empty, and yet there was a 40-minute wait because they simply didn't have the staff to serve the tables to get people into the restaurant. So that is a, that is a serious problem that employers are facing in almost every industry, it seems. Right. No, it, it is. I mean, it's across the board from from small mom and pops all the way to you know, Fortune 500 companies. People are having difficulty. Um, and part of that is, you know, in, in trying to provide a safety net. I mean, government shut down the economy. I mean, it's unprecedented in, in, in our history that government would do that. And so there was a time when there was a need for government to, to help people and provide assistance. But, but that time is ended. I mean, Florida is back up and running. We're 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 open for business. We're open for people to uh, to engage in commerce, and uh, it's time for those subsidies uh, to end and, and not make it easier to stay home than go to work. As Florida reopened after COVID, and we saw that it happened here a lot more quickly than it did in in most places, quite frankly. What kind of impact did that have on, for instance, collection of sales tax receipts and things of that nature that are going to make, it would seem to me, our budget a little bit more robust than it is in other states? Absolutely. I mean, when we, you know, COVID hit just as we were ending our legislative session in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all, all through the summer, the, the warnings were dire coming out of the, uh, the budget commission that, you know, we were going to be billions and billions of, of dollars uh, short in revenue. And uh, through the governor's leadership, uh, you know, keeping the state open, moving more quickly than other states uh, to open up, um, people responded. And uh, we, we actually had, uh, you know, the, the coffers were full. I mean, un- unbelievably, I mean, you know, people responded. People want to live their life. They want to go out. They want to, you know, go to the theme parks. They want to, uh, you know, uh, go to go to dinner could do a buy clothes. I mean, all those things we enjoy. Um, and, uh, it, it had a huge impact. And then as the pandemic, um, it went on and other States remained shut down, you know, people voted with their feet, uh, and they, and they left their shutdown States and moved to the free state of Florida. Let's and, talk- uh, and it showed in our budget. Let's talk a little bit about something called the Wayfair decision. What is that? Mm-hmm. And what's the impact on small business? There was a, um, a Supreme Court case a few years ago that talked about uh, you know the collection of online sales tax and you know, if you have a if you have a warehouse or a brick and mortar building in the state and so for you know, for example an Amazon warehouse you know in Florida then then you're they're going to have to collect the sales tax but if it was an out of uh, if it was an out of state business that had no physical presence in the state um, you didn't so that that decision said that you can now collect that tax. And it has always been the law in Florida that uh, you're supposed to pay that tax. I mean, you as the individual, if you're buying something online and that business doesn't doesn't have a a brick and mortar in the state, you were supposed to remit that those tax dollars or that that tax, so that sales tax to the state. Well, I mean, nobody did that. I mean, right. you, you know, maybe maybe one or two people you know did, but for the most part, people were not doing that. So what we wanted to do is make sure there was an even playing field because we heard from the small mom and pop saying, Hey, it's, you know, I, I live in Florida. I pay, I, you know, I'm homesteaded here. I have my business here. I'm paying taxes here, but yet I'm competing with people in other state and they have a 7% advantage over me because, you know, that's the sales tax. Um, and uh, so we said, all right, we're going to enforce that uniformly. Everybody's going to pay the tax. But what we said is we're not going to just go and you know, spend it on things that politicians like we're going to one replenish the unemployment trust fund, which is a huge advantage to, to small businesses. 
um, because they, otherwise we were gonna, we were going to have to raise those taxes on them to replenish that trust fund. So now we're going to use those additional sales taxes on that. And then when the trust fund is fully replenished, I think at about four to five billion dollars, uh, then that money is going to shift over to try to reduce or to not try, but to reduce the um, the 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 commercial uh, leased uh, property tax. So we're going to try to reduce that because we're one of the last states, if not the last state in the country, that taxes uh, you know, commercial uh, rental property. So we're going to put that money to good use to continue to help businesses. Something else that was passed was an anti-riot law. And while that is largely uh, focused on protecting law enforcement and and people, that also has an impact on business. What is that impact? Absolutely. That So that was House Bill 1. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, the lower the number, you know the priority. So this is something that as we saw um, riots across the country, as we saw business districts being looted and, and businesses destroyed, uh, people's lives being um, you know, injured or taken, um, Florida, we wanted to react and react swiftly. And so we passed House Bill 1, which, um, you know, you're right. I was one of the sponsors of that bill. Um, and, and we heard stories. We saw instances in Florida where um, you know, people's livelihood, small business in, in Miami, I know that was used on the on the House floor, and that example, that uh, their business was destroyed, I mean, burned to the ground. And, uh, you know, people absolutely have a constitutional right to, to protest and peaceably assemble. You have no right to take someone else's livelihood or their life. And we wanted to step in and, uh, and, and it, send a strong message that that, that, that type of activity is not going to take place in Florida. What about the law enforcement piece of that? Because I know a lot of, of what was going on in other parts of the country seemed to be the fact that, that law enforcement almost, I don't want to say they were afraid, but they were almost hesitant, it seems like, to move in to protect small businesses and, and people's property. So how does, the, how does the law enforcement piece of that work into protecting small businesses? Um, like I said, we have, we have a wonderful law enforcement community in, in Florida. I work closely with our, our sheriffs and, and police chiefs. Uh, and uh, so in addition to House Bill 1, we also, um, I, I sponsored legislation um, to bring in um, you know, additional um, training um, and procedures for law enforcement because there, you know, there, there needs to be a trust and bond between the, the citizenry and its government. And no more is that trust important than, than in law enforcement. So we wanted to make sure that the training is uniform throughout the state, that we're identifying um, you know, bad police officers, those who just aren't up to the job and make sure they're not you know, getting fired in one agency and then moving to another agency and, and lying about it, uh, you know, why they got fired. So uh, once again, so, you know, there were companion pieces. We had the House Bill 1 dealing with uh, civil unrest, but also saying, hey, you know, the law enforcement community is going to step up and, uh, and put in additional training. And they were all on board, the FOP, the PBA, the law enforcement community, because they, they, they want that accountability and uh, they want to weed out the bad officers as well. One of the bills that actually was somewhat controversial was the um, ability for individuals to sue big tech companies uh, for censorship. And I think that came to the forefront with a lot of my business colleagues when they watched um, a social media platform get deplatformed with really no recourse. So how does the the law, how does the, the bill that allows lawsuits against big tech companies protect small businesses? Uh, 
I mean, you know, when, when, when all of that was happening, we saw with the, the issue over, over parlor, I remember reading an article about a, about a woman who had a, um, had a business on one of the social media platforms she had had for several years. And, uh, you know, that's, the, that's their livelihood. And uh, that was her livelihood. And because of her political viewpoint, uh, she was deplatformed. I mean, in an instant, you, you, the business you've created could be taken away. And when you look at, you know, if you had a brick and mortar business and uh, you couldn't just be evicted, you're going to have a lease agreement. You, you have some property interests um, in your business. And that doesn't mean that it can't be taken away, but there's a judicial process to go through. So as we were looking at, uh, you, you create this, this creation of the, these online, online businesses, you know, does someone have a property interest in what they've created or built and can with a, with a, uh, you know, a flick of a, a push of a button on a keyboard that all of that be taken away. And uh, the answer, you know, that we came up with is no, that there should be a process and the ability for someone to seek redress if they are um, deplatformed by a social media entity. Another bill that will have some impact on a lot of small businesses, particularly restaurants, was the alcohol-to-go bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and this came through, obviously, during COVID when people wanted to have a glass of wine with their dinner that they right. ordered carryout. And right. it was apparently against the law for people to get a, a glass of wine and take it home with them to have with their dinner. So what is the alcohol-to-go law and how is that going to uh, help small businesses? Um, and you're absolutely right. So many of our uh, laws regarding alcohol, like so many other things, are, are kind of um, archaic. They're, they're vestiges of, of, of a different time in America um, when, when people felt differently about uh, alcoholic beverages. But then through the pandemic, we saw, we saw these changes and said, wait a minute, we've allowed businesses as, you know, to stay open if they had carry out and to go. And we allowed them to, uh, to do that with alcohol. And uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in uh, personal responsibility and treating adults like adults. And you, you punish the bad people that are, doing, that are breaking the law, but not, not law-abiding people. And uh, so we wanted to give businesses that opportunity and, and they liked it. Uh, the customer, the consumer liked it. Um, so, you know, that's one of those examples of, 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 fi- you know, out of a, uh, out of a very trying time, finding a way to, um, allow businesses to find a new avenue of revenue. And it seems to be working and we wanted to, uh, make that permanent. It's almost an extension of the bill that was sponsored by the late Senator Jim King that they called the Merlot to go law, where you could have a, have an open bottle at the table. They could package it up and you could take it home with them. It just seems like a natural extension of that. It really is. It really is. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, it's just another, you know, small example of the legislature looking and saying, you know, where, where can we give people more freedom, not less? Where can we give them you know, fewer regulations, not more? And uh, so I was you know, happy to vote for it. One of the things that I found particularly interesting was an expansion of barber services. I did not realize that licensed barbers were not allowed to cut hair somewhere other than in their in their shop. You changed that. Right. Right. We did, you know, again, another example, I mean, when, uh, when uh, COVID hit and in barbershops uh, and salons uh, closed down, the hair doesn't stop growing. It, you know, <laughs> and so they, people needed to adapt and we, lo- we, we, we lessened those regulations. And it's one of those, again, where we're going to make it, uh, you know, permanent. And, and why can't someone, you know, what if you're, you know, you're, you know, a grandmother or grandfather has difficult getting out. Why can't they have someone come to their home? And, uh, and and cut their hair. And why can't someone have a business doing that as we're going into 
you know, the, uh, you know, the Uber Lyft economy for, mm-hmm. for, for travel, why not, why are we not doing that? And, uh, in, in other areas where you can, you know, have an app and say, oh, you know, I want to have the barber or, or, or you know, salon, uh, stylist come, come to my house and do that. And, uh, it's just another, you know, freeing up, not requiring someone to go out and may- maybe they don't have the money to, to, to get a, a brick and mortar place but they have the ability to buy the tools that they need to go cut someone's hair and, and build up the, the capital to mm-hmm. go get that brick and mortar. And, and it only seems reasonable because there are mobile businesses of all kinds, uh, everything from pet grooming to bicycle repair and, and car detailing. Why not barbers? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And when, once again, it's, you know, uh, the, the longer I'm, I'm you know, part of government, you see where, Certain industries have tried to get, uh, you know, protectionist laws in place. They want to they want to protect uh, uh, their turf, so to speak. And we're always looking for those areas and saying, no, no you don't have a right to have that protected. We're going to have an economy where where you're going to compete. Uh, that's what capitalism is about. Creative destruction and uh, allowing people to, to climb up the, uh, the ladder of success. One of the things that also passed was an increase in the minimum wage for state employees to $13 an hour. Um, and I know there's a big push in the federal government to try to raise the national minimum wage to $15 an hour over the course of the next five or so years. What is the feeling in the state legislature on increasing minimum wage for private companies as opposed to just for state employees? Well, last uh, the last election cycle in 2020, there's now a constitutional amendment that uh, was passed by the, the citizens of Florida uh, that will uh, raise over time the minimum wage in Florida $15 an hour. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it's a, a dollar a year for for five years or so until we get to um, until we get to $15 an hour. Um, I, I am not a fan of minimum wage laws. I, I did not support uh, that 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 amendment. I think it's government creating artificial numbers. And I always ask, you know, if $15 is good, why not 20? And and I think we're going to see that. I think you're going to start to see because politicians can always campaign on, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more. Um, I think, I think once again, the better system is to have people um, compete. And something that a lot of people may not realize is that just because there's a constitutional amendment uh, in the state of Florida, you still have to pass what's called enabling legislation to make that right. to make that work. How do you see that debate on that enabling legis- legislation going, and when will that happen? Um, there was some talk about it uh, this past uh, past session, and and I know you, well, you you mentioned the thirteen dollars an hour for state employees, so that was uh, that was the first step. Um, in, in implementing the the, uh, the minimum wage law, uh, the one of the bills, and, and it didn't come through any of my committees, uh, but it, it it didn't pass this last time. So uh, I think we'll probably you know, take another shot at it or take another run at it next session. What have I missed? Uh, I, I don't think yeah, I don't think much of anything other than just you know my message to people would be that uh, you know the the Florida legislature in the state uh, you know we're we're open for business. Uh, we are constantly looking for ways to allow people um, to, uh, to to live and work and enjoy their life in Florida. I know that I had meetings um, with some 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 prominent uh, you know tech people, and it's amazing to hear how many are moving from. Um, California to Texas and Florida um, for all the reasons and all the things that we've talked about today. That is all the time we have. Cord, thank you very much for your time today and for your public service. 
Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Cord Bird is an attorney and District 11 representative in the Florida legislature. The Small Business Leadership Podcast is produced by Broadreach Communications and Marlin Consulting Solutions. I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening. And remember to look for the opportunity in every challenge.